Hi, this is Alex Romanovich of Global Edge Talk, and welcome to the edition of July 3rd, right before July 4th of 2020. Today we have an amazing guest, Julie Albright. I'm going to tell you all, all about it. Hello, Julie. <laughs> Hello, Alex. Julie Albright, let me give you a very quick introduction. It's a, I'm, I'm, you know, when I first uh, saw your posts on Facebook, and LinkedIn and other social media and looked at the videos. That was about a year ago. So I was so impressed. And I said to myself, we absolutely have to talk. Uh, you're a digital sociologist, which is going to be an interesting topic to begin with, to talk about. <clears throat> you are also a faculty member at the University of Southern California. You teach. You're a TED speaker. You're a global um, lecturer at uh, different conferences. You've appeared on NBC, CNN, Bloomberg. You talk a lot about digital infrastructure. You, you travel the world, and you're an amazing entrepreneur and an amazing teacher. Uh, welcome to our studio. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's great to be with you today. It's exciting to be here with you as well. Uh, so many interesting things to discuss. First of all, how did it all start? How did you decide to pursue an electrical engineering degree and degree in, in, um, in other technically uh, related type of fields? And then how did you become a digital sociologist? Tell us more about that. Well, I'll tell you. First of all, I didn't pursue an electrical engineering degree, but I teach in electrical engineering. So I'll tell you how I got there. How I got there was I started going into a counseling degree. So I have a master's and a PhD in counseling. And as I was doing that, I started seeing people meeting and mating on the internet. And I said to my dad, this is going to be huge. And he looked at all this, the words scrolling up on the screen and he goes, why would anybody ever want to do that? You know, but I knew it was going to be gigantic. And now walk out on any street corner anywhere in the world you're going to see people with their head tipped down looking at a, a internet connected smartphone, right? So it's, it's become completely mainstream. Uh, so from that point forward, uh, I, I've spent my career looking at the intersection of behavior and technology and how those two shape one another. So from that point, I met the former CTO of Chevron. We wrote a big grant together for the Department of Energy and we won it, uh, it's a smart grid demonstration project. It's basically about the digitization of the electrical grid, which brings customers and infrastructure closer together. And we won a $121 million grant. So the rest wow. was kind of history. Wow, that's, a, that's impressive. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite, uh, you know, I mean, you have so many different accolades. You have so many different things you do. What is your favorite activity uh, out of the entire list of things that you do? I'm just right. curious. Well, when I was in high school, I wanted to write. Uh, I had a wonderful English teacher. I was in an AP course, and we read all the great, from the great Gatsby to Moby Dick to Shakespeare, everything. And uh, I said, I'd like to write. And my dad said, you can't do that. And I was like, oh. So I went on other pathways. And now I, I have expertise in sociology and counseling and, and these relationships to technology. And so I just wrote my first book uh, this last year, and it, it was a named Top 30 Book by Bloomberg, Top 30 Book of the Year. So now I get to write and do what I enjoy and travel the world and tell stories 
and really shed, uh, you know, spotlight uh, what's changing in society uh, from the perspective of people's lives, how they're interacting with technology and what difference it makes. And, and really, I think that helps business leaders to see the future and really navigate where they're going. So as uh, tell us more about digital sociologist, about that, that uh, I, w- I don't want to call it a title, but it's almost sure. a, it's almost a career, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's my, yeah. It's a career by now. Well, when I uh, saw, as I said, that people were meeting online and, and traveling to meet each other and do, getting all excited, I thought, and I said, this is going to be huge. I was accepted to the PhD at USC. And when I got there, there was an older gentleman saying, we're all about new ideas. If you have new ideas, we love it. And I'm like, this is awesome. And I ran up to the guy. I said, I want to study the impact of computing on society. And he looked at me, he goes, what does that have to do with sociology? Oh my gosh. So this whole idea, you know, so I was really one of the pioneers of this. The idea that it's not about the technology. It's about the societal impacts and shaping and behaviors. And if you look now at hardcore technology, let's say cybersecurity, the number one uh, most successful cyber attack is not technological. It's social engineering. It's the human side. So we know that. And a lot of failures have to do with the human side. So engineers are starting to realize that now. Business people are starting to realize that now and that we need to understand that intersection. So now I was kind of way ahead of the wave and the wave is kind of catching up to where I was standing now. So I'm able to, again, shed light and and bring insights to people that are, are kind of unique. I'm, I'm in total agreement, you know, as a former engineer by education um, and actually somebody who developed code for IBM and Silicon Graphics and companies like that, then I realized that it's not about technology. It's about how technology is helping individuals, how technology is helping companies. Now, you right. work with a lot of and You talk to a lot of CEOs of, a com- of companies worldwide. Yeah. yeah. Do they still not get it? Do they still not get the fact that digital transformation, digital and human need to be integrated? And, uh, you know, obviously you tell them how they need to be integrated, but do they still not get it? Well, I think some are starting to get it. Uh, I was invited to speak at a big data center and IT conference in New York a couple of years ago. And, you know, I didn't know who was in the audience. I just knew it was a tech audience. And I was going to bring my ideas and thinking, and I've been thinking about how what what I call we're coming untethered, that particularly young people are unhooking from a lot of traditional ways of doing things, like going to a workplace, you know, they want to work remotely, uh, getting married, buying a home, going to church, all these things are changing, and then they're hyper-attached to digital technologies. So I brought that message, and I talked about what it means and how kids growing up in this atmosphere, have a different set of values, a different set of behaviors, and even a different set of ways of thinking because their brains are developing differently than, say, yours did. So because they're getting now smartphones and iPads in the, in the bassinet, in the crib, as infants. So they're, they're developing different neuropathways in their brain. So I basically gave this talk to these tech guys, and guys rushed up to me. One of them was the chief strategist of Microsoft. And later he said, you changed the way I think about what I do. And he told someone, he goes, she's had more impact on me than anyone in my life in terms of thinking about 
what he does and, and what it means. And so, you know, I think that message is starting to get out there now. And again, it's because things like the smart grid, where we're attaching digital technologies to infrastructures that never were attached before, you're bringing customer and these infrastructures together now. So you want to understand that side of it. You can't just, you don't just send them a bill anymore, you know? So that's the change. So you have to understand both sides of the equation, not just half of it. Uh, at USC, by the way, Yanis Yortzos coined the term engineering plus. I'm the plus. <laughs> it means engineering plus psychology, engineering plus sociology, engineering right. plus medicine. And so that's that's the idea. It's engineering plus. That's the that's the engineering. I am so future, delighted to hear this. Me. Yeah, as a former engineer, I'm so delighted to hear this. And this is what um, the previous administration was talking about: is we need more of this. We need more of engineering talent. We need more of this yes. in the United States. Even though we have a lot of innovation, we have a lot of interesting uh, companies like Uber and Airbnb and and yes. uh, and uh, uh, SpaceX and 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 so and so forth and yes. so on. But we need that skill. We need that talent here as well. Now, I'm That's looking. Right. Let me ask you this. I'm looking at my kids. I have a 14-year-old and I have a 10-year-old. And you're absolutely correct. They they are absolutely integrated into their okay. iPads, into their you know gaming computers and so forth. And right. then I look at research that says that a lot of the corporate decisions in 10 years are going to be made by these individuals. So right. what kind of decisions, decisions, excuse me, can we expect from this, you know, kids like these who grew right. up on a very different user experience, on totally different experience with technology right. and so forth? What can we expect from them? Well, I think that's a great question, Alex. And in my view, we're in a transitional moment between the baby boomers, let's say, in the workforce who grew up without an internet, who grew up in a world without smartphones and iPads and gaming consoles and all that, and the millennials and younger who are now flowing into the workforce who grew up with an internet and even younger growing up with what they call mobility, internet-enabled mobile devices like smartphones or tablets or laptops. So these kids that are growing up with mobility and the internet, they think, and this is, I think this is really insightful. They think the majority of them think they have the right to work remotely, for example, not an ability, a right. So this is the kind of thinking, that's that idea of that untethered workforce that we're talking about. And COVID now has amplified that to everybody having to work uh, untethered. So we've got an amplification of these trends and a broadening of those trends now out from the digital natives to now everybody. So it's sort of mainstreaming what would have been kind of the hipster edge, you know, these, these digital kids coming in saying, hey, we want to be able to work remotely. Now we're all doing it. This is going to reshape business to come. And a lot of companies are now saying, hey, you know what? We're all in on remote. This is going to change the complexion of cities. It's going to change the complexion of teams. It's going to change the complexion of business. So I think that leaders are going to have to think about the, the issue is this. As you unhook from other people, we see in the colleges where I work, the university, 
escalating loneliness, escalating anxiety, escalating depression. We have the highest rate of mental illness in 30 years among this cohort of young people. So it, so point being is the online interactions are not taking the place of the face-to-face. So I think that if we amplify this untethered working, that uh, the leaders of the future are going to have to say, hey, you know what? We're going to bring the team together uh, for an offsite at Lake Tahoe, let's say, for five days so we can really bond and, you know, make s'mores over the fire and chat and have those kind of casual interactions because you can build upon those on a Zoom, but you don't really get those as much on the Zoom as you would shared experiences face-to-face. I, uh, I, I'm in total agreement as well. And, you know, I'm concerned that our society is going to absolutely transform uh, into something that's a little bit different. Obviously, we're humans. We need interaction. We need teams. We need collaboration. We need yeah. that, that energy, if you will, the team energy, being right. in the same room. Uh, feeding right. off of one another. And right. COVID, you're absolutely correct. What's scary about this is, is situations like COVID are you know, making us work remotely, which is okay, but it is uh, totally unbalanced. It is totally unbalanced. Um, another question that is going to talk more about women in tech. Now, you're a, uh, you're a woman... <laughs> Uh, in technology, you're um, um, your woman in sociology and digital media and so forth. Are you, uh, is this a challenge still or is it not? Well, it's, it's a big challenge, Alex. Uh, I'm on the board since that big talk I told you about in New York. Uh, I've gotten to know a lot of the fellows that, that work and run uh, and women that run the digital infrastructure that we use every day. Companies like you mentioned before, the Ebays and the Ubers and PayPal's and Facebooks and all of those. And uh, so we have a, a big diversity uh, and inclusion initiative. Turns out in digital infrastructure, there's only 10% women. 10%. Wow. Even though they make wow. up over 50%. And so, and when you start to look at black women, young women of color, I mean, it's, it's so small, it's not even funny. So I'm working myself on education initiatives, on outreach initiatives to reach particularly girls and young people of color at younger ages, because it turns out that particularly girls will start to sort of option out of STEM and STEAM at a young age, sometimes even by junior high school. It's much younger than you think. By college, it's almost too late in a sense. So we're going to be thinking about that. I'm working on my next book uh, with the guy that ran uh, the digital infrastructure for Uber and eBay and PayPal. His name's Dean Nelson. He'll be my co-author. And we're going to talk about this global connectivity, global infrastructure. And uh, hopefully some parents will take a look at that and say, hey, this would be a great uh, career path for my kid. Interestingly, while a lot of businesses have struggled, digital infrastructure is seeing themselves boom, as you can you know, imagine. They're having record days and, and building and growing and, and connecting the globe. So this is going to be a, a great career going forward for young people. So hopefully we can get the word out about that and particularly more women. And Alex, one more thing I want to add. 
Why is that important? Some people think, oh, that's just political or that's just something nice to do. It's not nice to do. The studies show that companies that have more women in leadership positions and more women on boards, for example, actually do better on the bottom line. I talked to the CTO of Northrop Grumman. I actually teach with him at USC sometimes. And he said to me, I had one of the first women integrated teams at Northrop Grumman, and we always outperformed the other teams. He said, because engineering is based upon analogy. And if you have more experiences to draw from, you can come up with more novel engineering solutions. That means more competitive solutions, unique solutions, and that's the winning formula. So it's not simply something nice to do. This is a business advantage. And that's the thing we need to get out there. It's not only a business advantage, it's also an advantage for some of the countries that have women as presidents and prime ministers. It yeah. has been shown already, you know, countries like Norway, countries like Slovakia and some of the other ones, that, uh, you know, New Zealand, they, uh, handle, yeah, New Zealand. they handle crisis better, they handle um, uh, transformation better, they handle change better, and uh, they do it with a lot less um, ego and a lot less uh, controversy, it seems, than men do, don't you think? Well, what management um, has looked at that, uh, research on management's looked at that, and it turns out that women leaders are more collaborative. They're going to ask around the table, well, what do you guys think, and get the input, and then they're going to synthesize and make their decision. Men tend to be more hierarchical, top-down. They're going to make the decision and push it out. And so sometimes that creates blind spots. Uh, if you don't get the whole view, you want that person that says, well, wait a minute, what about, that's why the women on the board thing is important. That woman can say, well, well wait, you know, I saw Google Glass, for example. And I said right away, I said, well, that's not going to work. And people said in Silicon Valley, said, oh, keep saying that, Julie. I said, I will keep saying that. That is not going to go over with customers. Why? Because it interferes with the subtle uh, nonverbal communication and, and people are not going to adapt to that. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, had a woman like myself been on the team, I would have said, well, so they spent all this money developing, all this money marketing, for, and then they had to call off the program because, you know, it's not, it's not an accepted consumer product. I mean, I saw that the second I looked at it. But, you know, obviously there were no women on that team. Just one example. Let's, fascinating. <laughs> let's switch some, um, let's switch a topic and talk a little bit about digital transformation. Yeah. Huge buzzword, obviously. <laughs> Everybody is talking about it. All the vendors, all the companies, be it a software company, a services company, or consultants are using it to their advantage or to their liking or what have you. Um, uh, many companies, because of COVID, that had uh, three-year, two-year digital transformation plans all of a sudden had to deliver something in two to three months. Now, That's right. help us demystify digital transformation. What is digital <laughs> transformation really all about? Well, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I've actually been holding a salon uh, every week since COVID lockdown began to think through where we're at and where we're going. And tonight we're actually talking about the new normal of work. And so I've been talking and thinking a lot about this and what this means. And one thing, so the idea of digital transformation, like you said, that we'll be able to deliver services, uh, you know, customer experiences that, that equal uh, that of the face-to-face. -face. And 
because of COVID now, as you said, the timeline has shrunk from one to two years to two to three months. CIOs are going crazy trying to, you know, we got to get online so we can continue to deliver, you know, business continuity. That's the issue. Uh, but here, here's the thing that, that uh, you know, the CTO of Chevron and I have been talking a lot about this, former CTO. And, uh, you know, we, we dis- we've been discussing the idea that there's this new digital divide emerging. You know, you think about the digital divide between those that have and have not internet connectivity. But what's going on now in terms of digital transformation is you've got, let's say, the knowledge workers that can shelter in place. You know, their bodies can be protected at home. They're not going out and going into a workforce and potentially getting infected or infecting others. Then you've got the other folks who don't have that luxury, let's say, whose bodies are out there showing up. Let's say the delivery driver for uh, Amazon Prime, the delivery drivers, the mailman or woman, uh, the people who are bringing your food to you for Uber Eats, you know, examples. Uh, and these people's body, the healthcare workers, frontline workers of various kinds, police and fire and all that, the doctors, their bodies can't shelter in place. They can't phone it in. And so they are bodies at risk. So there's something really interesting going on here where bodies suddenly become in somewhat a liability or a risk factor in a new way for companies. So what's going to happen, and this I will tell you, you're going to see this, and it's already, it's already brewing, that's, that the jobs that can be automated will be increasingly automated. And what I'm talking about is we've already seen this in manufacturing. We've seen robotics sort of wipe out swaths of jobs, right? In, in Detroit, in the automaking industry, for example. Well, now what you're going to see is we're going to be moving up the food chain, as it were, of workforce into the white collar jobs. So now you're going to see the HR gal. You're going to see, you know, these sort of benefits people. You're going to see you know, possibly secretarial or whatever these things may be, automated through AI and digitization, machine learning, so that now you're going to work with this digital assistant as opposed to Mary in the HR department. So you're going to see that go up the food chain as bodies become risk factors for companies. They're going to look for ways to lower risk factors, up business continuity in the context of things like a pandemic. So that's already brewing, and that's going to amplify over time. Very, very interesting. I have a couple of more questions for you, but it's, it's a fascinating discussion as to what's really taking place. And your view of this, obviously, you having, uh, you, you having a lot of experience uh, looking at the variety of different environments and countries and um, you know, companies and so forth. So we have a situation where we have the automation of a lot of the jobs, processes, you know, almost the entire infrastructure. Um, we have uh, pandemics like COVID. Yeah. We have um, uh, companies that are transforming and moving their workers out of the urban areas and yes. not necessarily moving them, but they're giving them the option to move out of the yes. urban areas, which are extremely yeah. getting even more expensive yes. uh, because of the state and local governments are not able to provide for the services at the same rate of cost and, you know, expenditures and investment and to a certain degree corruption that's taking place, right? So we have all this transformation that's taking place in the society 
At the same time, we have you know, companies like Johnson Controls and some of the other ones talking about smart cities and how we need to uh, bring, um, you know, you know, bring um, ecology and, and smart cities together and so forth. Yeah. Folks are moving out of the, of the smart cities, right? So, w- yeah. you know, fast forward 10, 15 years, give, <laughs> us, give us the rundown. What's going to happen? We need smart towns, <laughs> in a word. So my uh, big grant with Don Paul at the USC Energy Institute was about kind of smart cities and about digital infrastructure around energy and energy conservation. My part was about changing behaviors around those energy conservation behaviors and energy and water. And I think that is the future. Um, but you're right. Uh, COVID coupled with um, social unrest is causing people, and, and that was one of the other calls I made early, that people are going to flee the cities. For years, we've seen a trend of urbanization, movement of particularly young people from rural and suburban environments into the cities for the amenities, you know, for the culture, for the coffee shop down the, down the street. But given that density is not your friend in COVID, for example, and, and the social unrest that's happened in all our big cities, people are fleeing cities like you've never seen. Also, as you mentioned, the high rents and the high housing prices. Now, for example, companies, and this is one of the big trends when you talk digital transformation, companies, instead of having it be an option or something that's kind of like, well, maybe you want to work from home a couple days a week, companies like Twitter and Coinbase and others are going all in on work from home. So people in, for example, high-priced San Francisco are saying, what am I doing here? So they're flowing out to Napa. They're going to flow over. A fella at Google was talking to me, hey, why aren't I living in Tuscany? So the idea that you're going to you know, live in this beautiful region, do your work remotely, and then have a kind of a quality of life that's enabled by these different places is where it's going to go. So the key there, though, is connectivity. Uh, do you have that Wi-Fi? Do you have that connection speed to do these kinds of things like we're doing now? Answer in a lot of parts is still no. So we've got things like Elon Musk sending up Starlink. Bezos is working on a project like that. Google Loon is sending balloons out to try to bring Wi-Fi to these remote places. But if we can get that figured out, that's going to be a game changer where it opens up the possibility to live basically anywhere in a remote community, in a small town, in a suburban or rural area that has the connectivity that will enable you to do kinds of tasks that you're used to doing in downtown San Francisco. So crack that nut and, and it's a wrap right there. And young people, again, expect to work remotely. And because of COVID now, these companies are going all in. So think about what that means. What services, what changes when you're moving from the density of a city out to surrounding or even rural regions? What's going to change? What business needs will come in, in that scenario? That's where the thinking needs to go. Very interesting. Um, speaking of young people and speaking of um, young girls, what is your message? What is your advice to young women, young girls who are thinking of a technology-oriented or digital-oriented type of a career and um, looking at people like you and saying, wow, this would be amazing if I could pursue something like this. 
what is my investment? What is my path? How do I do this? Right. right. Well, I think that um, the thing to know about, about the world of digital infrastructure, for example, I'm involved in a wonderful group called Infrastructure Masons. And we have people that are ready to mentor and guide. And so, you know, getting involved with, with groups like that, we're going to start some uh, um, chapters at colleges so students can get involved and then pipeline into a professional career. But I would say that, you know, don't think you just have to be a coder. You know, I know women that are construction contractors that are building these things. I, you know, you could think about the business side of it, the sales side of it. You could think of every, they call it the full stack, you know, everything from the software to the construction, to the heating and cooling, electricity. So the thing is, whatever your interest is, I think there's a place for you. Uh, and so really kind of thinking broadly. And the other thing is, I think for young people to know is there's a lot of opportunity hands on, you know, the trades, the guys at Facebook said, Julie, we can't get enough people to build the data centers. Talking about electricians, plumbers, framers, you know, concrete guys, like all these folks. So anything like that uh, is, is going to be super well-paid, desirable, and steady in the coming years. Those things are hard to automate away. So uh, for those that have a knack for working with their hands, go for it. That's not, that's not um, uh, let's say, uh, uh, a skill that's not in use now because we're in a digital era. That's still behind the scenes more important than ever, and people don't realize that either, I think. What a great advice. Julie, it's been an amazing experience talking to you. It's been a pleasure and the privilege. We want to invite you back, absolutely. Our audience is going to be tuning in. Um, we will post some links of your destinations, your digital destinations, your TED Talk, and uh, links to your uh, projects and so forth on the landing page. So expect that as well. And thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye.